Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, uh, you know, the, I think the staff was, we did this deal this last week, and, um, uh, you know, Chris is pretty sneaky. He had, <clears throat> he had reached out to me about a week ago and said, hey, man, really need to get lunch with you, you know, and we work together, but believe it or not, we actually don't interface a lot because we all got stuff going on, and it's like, hey, man, I'll absolutely, yeah, we'll get lunch, and then he sent me this calendar invite, and um, and over the weekend, which is kind of odd, he's like, hey, man, I just want to make sure, like, we're on for lunch, right, on Wednesday. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, we're, we're good, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday uh, morning rolls around, he checks back in, hey, can we bump it up to 1145? And I said, sure, dude, I'm just kind of, he's kind of on edge about the lunch thing. <laughs> he's really got to talk about something. And, um, and so, anyways, I'm in my office working, he comes and grabs me and uh, <clears throat> says, hey, man, so what are you interested in eating? You know, what do you want, some Tex-Mex or whatever? And so I don't know, whatever. He said, hey, let me just hop in here real quick and opens the door up over the big room and our whole staff's in there and there's literally like some Tejana music going and they've got Tex-Mex from Chewy's and I don't know how they found some pictures from 10 years ago, the early days of the church of me on there. I think Jonathan put together a slideshow. It was hilarious and totally shocked and totally blessed. And to cap it off, there was a human pyramid uh, that was formed by our staff. So we have a quite agile team. Uh, it was so fun with my daughter, Gwyneth, who's three, on top in her princess dress. So it was epic. Uh, and I've never had one of those before. It was so fun. Just feel so blessed and uh, just grateful and thankful uh, for the team here and for you guys, for Jesus. Um, well, um, we're finishing up our series today on life with Jesus. Life of Jesus, and um, you know, uh, Chris and Andrew have done a great job kind of unpacking some different kind of elements to that, but today I wanted to press in just one more time to maybe what does it really look like, and we're going to uh, look at a passage of Scripture here in Colossians 3, if you want to turn your Bibles there, but as we do that, sometimes we, we, think, about, we think about the Christian walk, you know, or we, we, know, the, we know the verse that says, um, uh, the way is broad and easy that leads to destruction, but the way is narrow and hard that leads to life. And we like the leads to life part, uh, <laughs> but the narrow and hard part's not so fun. Um, and sometimes we can think that, man, following Jesus, like the son of God, the miracle worker, the land that was slain, like Christ, like following him and being like him is actually pretty difficult. And it may seem impossible. And sometimes you can, you can read, you know, a chapter in one of the Gospels. Or you can read just a chapter out of, you know, Philippians or Ephesians and just stop there. And you're thinking, can I actually even pretend to obey that? And you're thinking, this seems unrealistic, you know, like the expectations. And then you look back, you're like, man, like, like Jesus set a standard that is so high. And sometimes we can think, Life of Jesus is about just meeting his standard, or life of Jesus is kind of this unattainable reality. And what he shows us is that life with Jesus actually includes some human error. Life of Jesus actually necessitates forgiveness and mercy and grace, because you won't be able to live to his standard 24-7 without ever messing up. It's not like you get saved at 12 years old and then you go the next 80-year run and you come to your 92nd birthday and it's like, yep, ha never sin, never look back. It's been perfect. I'm like, 
that's not going to happen. I haven't been to that birthday yet, okay? That would sound great, but it's not real. Because if that was the real thing, we wouldn't need all the forgiveness and the working through offenses and all the continually, daily tending of our heart before God. And so I want you to know, life with Jesus does not mean you are perfect, but it does mean that he has set a kingdom standard that we are to attain to and to press on to and to live for and to run after, right? That's what we're going for. So um, <clears throat> some of you guys know, but James Wise, he used to be on our staff the first five years of the church, and him and his family, James and Cat Wise, they actually helped us really to start this church years ago, and um, James and his wife, they now serve in the Middle East, and so they serve with, with Antioch in the Middle East with one of our teams, and they're kind of in a pastoral capacity. We got to see them about a month ago when we went to a place in Eastern Europe as kind of a, a gathering conference for many of our workers in the field, and just a joy to get with them again, and I was thinking about James again this week, and just reminded of back when he was on our staff, he came in one day and he said, hey guys, I got, I got, I got some news for you. We said, okay, what's that? And he said, I decided I'm gonna run a marathon. And you could have heard a pin drop, because James is not the like athletic marathon type. Okay, James is not like starting quarterback at his high school on varsity. That wasn't James. James is not much like athletic sports guy, okay? And he would admit that. But somehow he decided, you know, I'm gonna do the marathon thing. Now, if you've ever run a marathon, I have not. I've only done a half, and I'm good. I'm great. I don't need to go full. I have nothing else to prove, okay? So I've done the half thing, uh, okay? But, well, I should have done it twice, so I guess it totals up to a full. Okay, so, um, but I've done a half marathon thing, but, you know, James, like, he had to really commit to, like, this thing. Because it's not like, just, you know, if, if you're not aware of marathons, you can't roll out of bed on Saturday morning at 6 a.m., Take a couple energy drinks and just go run 26 miles. That doesn't happen. You can't do that. Your body will physically shut down. Like, I don't care how determined you are, you can't do that, okay? You actually have to train your body so that you can actually run the race. And so James trained for, I don't know, four of months. You know what it is, that training program, like every weekend you go run, you just like lay in bed for hours, like, oh, my legs hurt, you know? So if you sign up for, you're signing up not just for a day race, you're signing up for a four-month lifestyle change, you know? So he gets ready for this deal. He's committed. And, um, and you know what I love about James? He just got there. He's like, I'm going to do it. And, the, and literally, I remember, it was the BCS Marathon. The temperature dropped like 24 hours before the race, like in our town. It like dropped down like 30 degrees. So imagine running this marathon out 30 degrees. It's like, wow, like you got the cold air to deal with. And I remember we were able to kind of, after church, we, we, we drove over to kind of catch him on his run. And people were watching him and to wave at him, you know, and, he was just kind of going one foot in front. I don't know if he noticed we were there or not, because when you're running and you're on like mile 20, just, I think I can. I think, I, I mean, whatever you're doing, you know. But I love that because James took something that literally all of his family and friends would say, James, we know you, bro. That's impossible, right? I mean, literally, it was like an impossible task, but James took it on. And sometimes we feel like that when it comes to walking with Christ. Like, this is impossible, you know, like, how do I actually do this? It seems so hard. But I want us to know that the grace of God is available for us and that the Bible says all things are possible with God. So we're gonna go off that premise today. So whatever mindset you came in with, if you feel defeated, if you feel like, I don't know, life has just done you wrong or you've been beaten up too many times, I want you to know 
that the grace of God covers a multitude of sins and a multitude of bad mindsets and a multitude of critical thoughts. He can cover all of it, and he can say, hey, all things are possible. You guys ready? All right, so here we go. We're gonna shift into all things are possible for us. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 through 13. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Now this phrase, put on, right? So <clears throat> we live in Texas. We live in this kind of south, central, east Texas area. I know we don't get a lot of snow. It happened a couple years ago. And just like you, my family skipped school that morning went outside and made that snowman, albeit two feet tall, and melted by lunch, but we got our pictures in, and we made the snowman. But when it does get cold around here, we like to bust out all the winter gear, don't we? We put on the proper attire, right? So stuff you got three Christmases ago and two Christmases ago, and now you get to actually wear it, right? And so we put on the scarves, the jackets, the nice pants, all the gear. We wanna dress up, and you'd be called a fool if it's really cold, and you're wearing T-shirt and shorts unless you're a college guy trying to prove something, okay? And I know you because I was that guy. But that doesn't last. You can't do that very long. It's fun for an hour or two, and then things start to just break down your body. So it's not good to go out in the cold without the proper attire. And in the same way, we got to get the mentality here to actually live life with Christ, you got to put on the proper attire. you got to put on the characteristics of Christ. And those are compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. <clears throat> now, I don't see a lot of guys walking around with t-shirts. Compassion, kindness, humility. Yeah, dude, that's how I roll. That's our team. Like, what college football team has that as their five leadership values? Hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to be kind. <laughs> we're meek. I mean, can you imagine Jimbo Fisher? <clears throat> hey, man. Patience, just <laughs> let them score. You know, it's, <clears throat> no, we think those words inherently, we think weak. We do. We think, oh, that's that, <laughs> that's that girl that can't really make it in the real world. She's too sweet, right? Or like, that's that guy, yeah, he's, he's real nice, but nice guys don't win, right? I mean, like, we have these phrases in our head, but I want to remind us, Paul is describing the characteristics of Christ, and last I checked, he is the greatest world leader ever known. He is very compassionate and very tough at the same time. He is grace and truth. He is all, he is everything you ever wanted to be and every per, everything you ever wanted to marry in a person and everything your parent you hoped they were is Christ. He's all of it. This isn't just it. This is not the full description of Christ, just so we know, but it is describing these characteristics of Christ, and we're being told here to put them on. So my encouragement to you is to discipline your life to put them on. If you signed up for this race, you gotta put on the proper attire, and you gotta have the proper training regimen. And I'm telling you right now, if you are like, you're reading this list and you're thinking, man, compassion is like really low for me, right? Humility, real, real low. That's okay. God can work with that. 
right? Remember the guy writing this, Paul, what name was Saul, pretty sure none of these characteristics were evident in his life. Before he got knocked off his horse, donkey, whatever he was riding, on his way to Damascus, got blinded, got saved, got filled by the Spirit, then went out a couple years, had to get discipled by the Lord. Next thing you know, this guy comes back. They think he's a crazy man. He's totally changed. After a couple years, his demeanor totally changed. Well, what happened to him? Did he go to a counseling center? Did he read the latest book? No. He got radically transformed by choosing to put on Christ. And after enough time, guess what? You start looking like Christ. You start acting like him. You start talking like him and even thinking like Christ. Now, it says here in Colossians 3, forgiving each other if there is a complaint. That's also part of this lifestyle with Jesus. Now, I can imagine in this room, there's been a few uh, arguments in the last three months, right? Like, maybe there's been a few roommate skirmishes, right? Um, Parents, you may have a legitimate complaint against your children for not eating at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Like, there, there may have been some issues with mom and dad on the phone, or they're wanting you to come home, and you don't want to come home because you want to hang out with your friends. Or there's different things that happen. There's probably some legitimate complaints in this room that you have with people. You may have a complaint against the person sitting next to you. You don't need to elbow them right now because I can see all that, all right? I know you. You may have legitimate complaints, but what does it say? Is it a suggestion? Right? Hey, if you feel like forgiving them, and if they're deserving and worthy of your forgiveness, forgive them. That's not, let's reread it, Tyler. <clears throat> Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiving each other. The idea is that both here will forgive, but guess what? Sometimes we don't get that luxury. Sometimes they ain't never going to forgive you. So you can hold out, waiting for them to initiate forgiveness and be bitter for the rest of your days, or you say, no, I'm gonna be the mature person in the relationship. I'm actually gonna be putting on Christ and I'm gonna forgive them, even though they're not gonna give that back to me. And guys, that's the hardest kind. It's easy to forgive someone when they do it first. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, shucks, okay. I mean, it's not hard. They did all the hard work. The hard work? The narrow hard way is you forgiving them, y'all. And I'm just going to go on a limb and say there's probably somebody you're going to be eating a meal with in like four or five days' time that, you're, that you need to forgive. Okay, now listen, I don't want to be that kind of church. It just talks a big game. All right, so we're actually going to pause right now, and we're going to forgive somebody. I would love for three to 400 people to get forgiven right now. Okay, now... We're just going to do it. We're not going to all talk aloud. We don't hear everybody's names. We don't need that. But literally, we're going to take 30 seconds right now, and I'm not, I'm not going to play music on purpose because I want you to be a little awkward, uncomfortable as you're forgiving because forgiving ain't easy, right? So right now, literally, I want you to close your eyes. I'm doing it too. And you can ask the Lord or just you may have someone in your head right now. You need to forgive them. It can be for big or small. Just let's do it right now. Let's just forgive them right now.
you, Lord. You know, some people need, you probably need a little more time to forgive some others. There's things you got to process through. I don't want to cheapen it. But I think I want us to acknowledge that sometimes it just takes 60 seconds to remove the bitterness from your soul. Or you can live with it for 60 years. It's up to you. But God's given us a way out. He's given us a way out from the formal complaints, from the offenses that we have, and it's up to you to take advantage of it. It's no one else's fault. There's actually no one else to blame for your unforgiveness. You know that? Like, there's, the government's not in charge of your unforgiveness, nor is the church, nor your parents, nor your friends, nor is your counselor, nor is anyone else. You, and only you, are in charge of tending this heart. And we are told to put on Christ and extend forgiveness. I want to encourage you to write down that name of that person you just forgave. You can put it in your phone, write in your journal. If it's the person next to you, just cover it up with your hand, just write their name down. <laughs> but really, I want us to be a forgiving people. I don't, there's nowhere to live, guys. Life is too short to be bitter. And I, I've been, there's been weeks and sometimes months and sometimes years, I'm sad to say, that I've held on to unforgiveness and it's poison. And so we're told here to put on Christ means we've got to forgive and it's not a suggestion, it's a command. So you also must forgive. Not only are we taught about putting on Christ, these characteristics and Forgiveness is part of this package of living life with Jesus. But again, in Colossians 3, 14 and 15, he goes on and says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We'll pause there. It says, above all, put on love. He's not, he's not neglecting the other five things he just said to put on, to put on Christ. Talking about the characteristics of Christ. But he's saying, above all, put on love. Why? Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I would argue that love is this like adhesive that's keeping everything together. Right? Now, we think of glue, right? Glue's an adhesive. But let me give you a stronger adhesive, cement, right? So most of us are living in a structure, a building, an apartment, a house, and underneath that is concrete. And Cement and water and aggregate, kind of crushed stone. You mix it all together and you get this wonder concoction called concrete. And if you've ever seen anyone pouring a foundation at a property, as they're pouring, it's a very soupy mixture, right? It actually comes out and you kind of like stir it around and they get it to settle. You could go step on that and you'll just fall right through. But you wait 24 hours and that thing is like hardened, harder than a rock. And then you wait another 27 days, 28 days, how long they say for that foundation to actually cure. You can stand on it and rock on it, but it'll be like cured, where it's like that thing ain't moving anywhere. And these foundations don't just last for years. They last for decades and decades, right? They last 100 plus years. These foundations that are put in place because of this adhesive. Now, let me give you the definition of an adhesive. It's any substance that is capable of holding materials together in a functional manner by surface attachment that resists separation. So adhesives by nature actually hold things together and resist separation, which is why Paul's writing, and put on love because love 
holds us together, holds the marriage together, holds the friendship together, holds the church together, holds your relationship with God together, holds people together, holds the family together. And by the way, it also resists separation. It's both in. It's like a double whammy. It's holding and resisting being pulled apart. You know, um, I think the Lord is wanting us to kind of capture this idea of love is not trite and it can't be confused with how society of the world describes love. We have to remember that God is love. And I've been married 13 years, going on 14 here soon, and my wife and I, we um, have not stuck it out this long just because it's been fun. In case you're wondering, our honeymoon was actually a complete disaster, which is another story. It's not because of the honeymoon. Um, it's not because we have kids that that's what kept us together. None of that. It's not because of the vacations or the high moments. What has kept us together is this covenant that we made with God and with each other, and it is a covenant, a love of love, which is a binding thing for us. And do not be fooled. We have had very difficult days and weeks and months in our 13 years of marriage. Very difficult. And anyone who's been married that long, you've also had very difficult days and weeks and months. It may be years. But what is overriding all of that stuff trying to separate you is this adhesive of love saying, no, love is not easily separated or destroyed. It holds, it actually supersedes everything else. That's what he's trying to say. And it is the love of God is why he sent his son Jesus to this earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Didn't say because God so liked the world because he needed the world, he had to have friends in the world, it's because he loved the world. For God's love is what drove him to send his son, who was doing pretty well, by the way, up in heaven hanging out, sent him down to our messed up earth to only be mocked and persecuted and then beaten and scorned and crucified for us. That's called love. That's called sacrificial love unconditional love. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's what we're supposed to put on. And when you put that on, that should supersede the petty arguments, guys. It should overcome those things that would discourage us in the moment. And he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. You know, this time of year, there's a lot of things that can rule us. Listen, I know Black Friday's coming up. I'm not immune to that. And it seems like everything should stop on planet Earth because it's Black Friday. And now, and now it's like there's three months of Black Friday. I don't know what's going on anymore. But I don't know. I think Amazon did a Black Friday in June. or so. I don't know how they get away with that. But, um, but you know, it's like everything's built around this kind of idea of we got to have this, we got to have that. Let me just caution us. Um, the peace of Christ is, should, should be ruling and reigning, not the next thing we get or not the anxiety of going to visit this or do this or at this party. Like, we can't allow those outside things to rule us. Like, the peace of Christ, it's here. It's not circumstantial. Do you understand? Like, the other stuff, circumstances, 
That's okay. You can be at the crazy, wacky family gathering over Thanksgiving. Okay, some of us have crazy, wacky family members, and we love them, and we get annoyed with them at times, and you'll be able to practice these characteristics over Thanksgiving. I'm helping you out, right? Okay, but like, it, like you can still bring peace and be salty in that gathering, even though everyone else is arguing and complaining. Do you understand? Like, this is what we are called to do. This is how you are salty. But then I love this, I love this, this little phrase here. He says, and be thankful. It's kind of like, what? That didn't really fit. Just, we're talking about putting on this and putting on that and peace and this, and be thankful. It's kind of like, it's like your grandpa, go get him, be thankful. You know, just, <laughs> what? I don't understand. So I was looking this up like, this is a kind of odd, you know, and I looked it up, and this phrase, and be thankful, believe it or not, it's the only time it's used in the entirety of the New Testament. That's it. Nowhere else is this found. Actually, in the Greek, it's the word eucharistos. Eucharistos. And what it really means is thankful for God's grace. So I started reading, and I thought, huh, okay. Thankful for God's grace. You put this on. This is the love of Christ that binds us together. This is who are supposed to forgive each other, and this is where we're going. We're called into one body. And by the way, be thankful for God's grace. Um, you know, my, my brother, Robert, he's got five kids. We were competing, um, and now we're done competing. And so uh, that's usually best when you get older. Younger, I always lost to him, but now we're equal, so I'll take it. And so, you know, uh, he told me this story several years ago. He said when his kids were a little younger, they were having a problem with him always at these, at these mealtimes, you know, because his kids are there, and they, you know, you spend an hour, you know, as a parent, you actually, like, make a good meal. It's not, you're not just heat up in the microwave. You can do that, but it's like you actually go through the effort to make them something that is nutritious, and it's real food, you know, and so you serve it up to him, and he had a couple of kids who just kept complaining. Like, oh, I don't want that, Daddy. Or it's, oh, that's, and it just, nothing drives you more nuts as a parent than your kids just picking and complaining the food. It's like, you know, all you want to say is, do you know about those kids in Africa? You know, you just want to come out. Like, that's what you want to say, literally. And I've actually been to orphanages in Africa where they get one bowl of rice a day. And so I actually had that, but I can't unload that on my children. Um, I will crush them, okay? I'm like, there are children. I've met them, and I've interacted with them. Woo, you know, and so I just, I look at them. And so my brother's having these problems. So he said, okay, guys, we got a new rule tonight. Y'all ready? We got two new rules at dinner. Number one. If you pick at your food and don't really eat it, we'll take it away, throw it in the trash, and you can try again tomorrow. Or if you complain about your food, we'll take it away, throw it in the trash, and we'll try to get next meal. So, okay, so yeah, wow, right? So, so you know, they kind of thought, thought they were messing with them, you know? And so they're like there, and a couple of his kids are complaining about the food. And he said, hey, great, thanks, guys. Throws it in the trash. And they're like, huh? Like, it's gone. Daddy, can I eat something else? No, you can try again at breakfast. And they're like, okay. You know, one of them is stubborn, you know. So like, fine, whatever. You know, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat dad at this game, you know. So it's up for breakfast. Hey, guys, here you go. And uh, one of them complained a little bit again and threw it away. And the other one's kind of like, just trying to play tough, took it away. He said, you know what's incredible is, within 24 hours, all of them got in line. And they ate their food with joy, and they were thankful. Because, you know, kids don't like fasting. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't like it. Okay. But here's the deal, right? They weren't showing thankfulness and gratitude for what they had. This is not just a kid problem, is it? Right? 
See, I got you. See, you got, you got, you got suckered into my brother's story. And now you're the kids, right? So now it's a question of, are we really thankful for God's grace in our lives? How often do you complain about singleness versus being married? How often do you complain about being married versus the good old days of being single? Right? Let's be honest now. Like, how often are you complaining about your 8 a.m. class when there's people who can't get into college or afford it? Right? How often are we complaining about our size apartment when others are sleeping in their cars? Uh-oh, how often are we complaining about the worship up here because it's not to my liking when half the countries around the world, it's illegal to actually worship? You see, we've built in a complaining culture that is systemic, and unfortunately, it is in this house. And it's in me too. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think Jesus likes it. He's calling us into something more, guys. But listen, you don't have to speak Christianese or have all the spiritual language around people to prove that you're like a good Christian or something. That's a joke. In fact, it's confusing half the time. Don't do that to people. Just be normal and be salty. How do you do that? You be salty by actually increasing the thanksgiving and decreasing the complaining. Now, if we're honest, if I went around the room and said, hey, off the top of your head, give me the things you're complaining about in life. You'd probably have a pretty good list for me, wouldn't you? The government, my spouse, my dog, this thing, my boss. Well, this one, the shoes don't fit, you know, whatever, whatever, right? Weather, whatever thing, right? Complaining, complaining, complaining. What if I said, all right, top of your head, what are you thankful for? And you're like, um, oh, gosh, I don't know. Like, do you know how I know this? Because I do this to people sometimes. What are you thankful for? Well, I mean, the God. Great, that's fantastic. Anything else? You know, it's just, it's like, what is the problem with us? It's like we don't even have a grid for how much we already have. You know why? Because we live in a very blessed time. And guys, I'm telling you right now, um, this idea of being thankful, that's just gonna make you salty. And you're gonna get every chance to do it in the next five days. You're gonna get to see family that are not thankful, that are not grateful, that are griping. You're gonna interact with moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and siblings and friends from high school and everything else, and you're gonna be like, they're complaining about this, complaining about that, and you get a chance to either join in on it or to be salty and set apart. Well, that's great. Can I tell you some things I'm really thankful for? Since it's Thanksgiving, wink, wink. (laughs) It's, It's not complaining day, is it? But it feels like that, doesn't it? Sometimes, what if we were different, guys? What if we were different? I'll finish out with these last few verses and invite the band on up. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Paul is admonishing us to not only put on Christ, not only put on the proper characteristic attires of Christ, 
but he's admonishing us to not just put something on, but that something is welling up in us, which is to give thanks, to give thanks to him, to actually have a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And I would argue that is a shift that's needing to happen in us as a generation of people. We're not default thankful for things. We default criticize, complain, and that's me too, guys. Like, I grew up default negative critical, not positive encouraging. But yet the kingdom life that Jesus is calling us into, and if you're saying, man, I wanna follow Christ, I wanna live life with Jesus, then the default should shift into a place of thanksgiving. Where all of a sudden we see everything and say, you know what? I'm actually thankful I'm single. There'll be a day to be married, but man, singleness, there's a lot of great things about it, you know? You get to sleep. <laughs> Truly, I mean, singleness, it's a lot cheaper to live. Really, you get to exercise however long you want to. You don't have to worry about what someone else wants to eat, it's just whatever you want to eat. Like, it's actually a lot of free time, it's a biggie. I mean, just, there's so many great benefits of being single. But if you complain about where you are, you will carry that into the next phase. You complain about school, you'll carry that into your profession. You complain about your relationships, you'll carry that into the next city. You complain about this town, you'll complain about Dallas. It's got problems too. That is what you've cultivated. It's not about the circumstances. It's about this inside of here. As Paul said, the same man who wrote this, whether I have a lot or if I have a little, I will what? Be content with these. Whether I have a lot of friends or a few, whether things are going well or not, whether I get that pay raise or the pay decrease, whether I'm dating or single, whatever's going on, I'll be content with these because what? We're gonna be a thankful people. Thankful for what? Thankful for the grace of God on our lives. And let me just say the fact that you're living and breathing and sitting in this cozy room right now is the grace of God on your life, whether you know that or not. And he is looking for people to not to stroll through life assuming things, but to go through life thanking him. And actually, when we give him our praise in the Psalms, it says he inhabits praises. Like, that when, when we actually give him praise, when we worship him, it actually invites his presence to come and be with us. And I argue the same thing for thankfulness. When you are thanking God, you actually sense his nearness. He actually is closer to you in your home. He starts to feel your life, your workspace, your relationships. But when you do not thank him, you will feel distant and cold, I guarantee. I do not know a single believer on planet Earth that is joyful and that is full of life who does not consistently thank God because a void is created, and all of a sudden what happens is, I can do this without him. God does not dance like that. It is something for us to come back to him and say, thank you, Lord. That's the ticket to life with Jesus. Wants to stand So we close this morning. Just gonna close this. We're gonna worship here, and I'm gonna have our prayer team stay where you're at, your, our leaders. I want everyone to, to just participate here for a moment. I'm just gonna pray. At, uh, a declaration prayer, more or less meaning we're just gonna declare something right now. You can agree with me, or you can just kind of receive this, but we wanna pray something that God would shift something in our church. We did this at nine o'clock, we're doing it again now. That he would shift us in our hearts to really change us as a people. So Lord Jesus, we just come before you right now, and we just ask that we would increase in thanksgiving 
and decrease in the complaining God. We want an increase in the thankful hearts and a decrease in the complaining and the whining about the things in our lives. God, we wanna be a people that are set apart, that are salty, that look different, that look like Christ that we would walk this earth in humility and meekness and kindness and patience, that we'd be clothed in love and that we wouldn't take it off, but we would keep it on continually. God, let that well up in our hearts. Let us be a people that'll step into Thanksgiving meal and we're the most joyful, servant-hearted, thankful people. Lord, let that be the conversation starter. Why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? What's going on? Lord, we pray, let us be a people that are salty and begin to change those that we love around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.